Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller and welcome to The Forever Student. I had finished college in New York City. I was an athlete all my life. So I was a tennis player since I was five years old. The reason I went to New York was to play tennis, college tennis. So I played Division One there. And when I finished college, I basically had a choice to make of like one, staying in New York or coming back to Dubai, place where I grew up. And the second thing was pursue a pro career or go down the corporate path. After really pondering it and, and also just having a reality check of being a pro tennis player is not easy at all. Breaking through the ranks and the top 100 and top 200 and stuff is almost impossible unless you really have it. On that point, though, when doing some research, Google is still covered with, with your tennis accolades. So That's so good. Congratulations. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> that's very good to know. But so I made the choice to come back and, and I wanted to stay in sport. I wanted to continue working with athletes and, and be in that world and obviously staying very active and, and maintaining my routine. So I joined Nike initially as team sports executive, which is working with football clubs, football players, national teams, etc., looking after all their needs and then started climbing through the corporate ladder. I was there for, I was there for six years and probably held six different positions. And two years before I transitioned out of Nike, I was doing my MBA. So I was doing my executive MBA here in Dubai at Halt. I was working on a startup with a friend of mine, trying to launch a startup essentially. And I was working a full-time job. Now that required whatever, 16, 18 hours a day. And I was completely fine with the amount of time it took. At the end of the day, I was a student athlete. so. My, my life for five years was waking up, working out, going to class, playing tennis, doing an internship, studying, going to sleep and doing the same thing. So it was the same amount of time. It was just the switching attention between those three things that was extremely difficult. Like mm. the ability to give something 100% is so hard when there's so many different things to give 100% to. So I remember this so vividly. There was one night where I was studying for a finance test. It was a Tuesday and the test was on a Friday. And I was like three pages in and I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, when you have that moment where you're just like, what am I, what am I doing? And whenever I have doubts like that or whenever thoughts like that happen in my head, first thing I do is go to YouTube. And the first person I used to always watch is Gary Vaynerchuk because he would just shout at you for two minutes. And then after two minutes, you'd just be like, okay, back to it. Like, you know, just hustle, hustle, hustle. But this time I stumbled upon a Jay Shetty video. And, and Jay Shetty, for those of you who don't know, he's absolutely incredible. He started talking about why do we do what we do? So think about this for a second, like everything. Why do you wear what you wear? Why do you drive the car that you drive? Why do you work where you work? Live where you live, eat what you eat, hang out with who you hang out with. And I took that a step further and also started thinking about like, why do we think what we think? Where do these thoughts come from? Like who influences them? What influences them? And going back to that first part, why do we do what we do? I started looking at what I was currently doing, those three things, those three main brackets. And the first thing I looked at was the MBA. So I was like, why am I doing it? Right. And I'm half Indian. So my mom's Indian and obviously Indian, my mom at least values education, she values security. And was I doing it to make her proud? Maybe. If so, not a bad thing. Was I doing it for status? Maybe, you know, after those two years, you have the piece of paper where you're like, I'm an MBA graduate and da 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 da. Um, what was it that I was doing it for? That was question one. The startup, same thing. 
Nike, the same thing. Like I started asking myself all these questions. Very tough questions to ask yourself. Like it requires a certain level of being able to confront yourself with very tough questions because you might not like the answers. But very next day I quit my MBA because I was like, this is not, this is not something that I'm doing for me. It's something I'm doing for either an external factor, let's call it, whether society or family or whatever it is. Also stopped working on the startup. I was like, this is not serving me at all. And so I focused on, I continued to focus on Nike. I loved my job. And that's where things started escalating, where I started questioning more things and I, and I started diving deeper into focusing on self-awareness and continue, continuously evolving from a mental and physical standpoint. So that was really the turning point. Now, a few months later, I also happened to stumble upon a silent retreat. So this was probably three months later where there was a Buddhist monastery in Nepal called Kopan. It was 10 days of silence and it was an introductory course to Buddhism where you would spend 10 days at this monastery with 200 monks, no phone, no laptop. You just had your little room, you had your notebook, you could read, but you couldn't speak. And you know, food was provided to you three times a day. And then you meditate for six hours a day and then you get teaching for six hours a day and you do this for 10 days. And I went into it more from a mental challenge sort of standpoint, because I run marathons at that point. Like I played tennis all my life. So physically I was like, I don't, I don't really want to challenge myself anymore, but mentally this sounds super cool. And so I did that. And then that further, I guess, enhanced that really strong desire to one, become the best version of myself, but also two, to start sharing whatever we learn. One, one question, sorry to, to interrupt the flow, but you said stumbled upon the retreat. And I'm interested, I, I remember reading a quote once that said, when you're ready, the next book that you read will set you free. It'll hold all the answers, but only when you're ready. Could you give me a little bit more of an insight to the process? You've had the, the revelation of asking yourself why. You've stopped a couple of the, the activities that were sucking up so much of your energy and your headspace. Then what drew you closer to this and how did you arrive at the, at the retreat? When so much time opens up, a lot of your, I guess, mental capacity opens up as well. Like a lot of free space in your brain opens up and, and is willing to take in new information. And once I went through that, let's call it a little transition, you know, post dropping a few things in my life and started focusing on others, a few of the things I started focusing on were exactly what you're saying. Listening to podcasts, books, journaling, diving deeper into meditation, things that focus on self-development. like self -development. And I think those were the things that then slowly created this path where, you know, because you never really stumble upon anything, like it, everything's presented to you at the right time, like you said. And so the, the silent retreat also, like, I think it was, I think it was through a podcast or through a book or through something along those lines that was part of my new habit or my new way to absorb information that it came through. And then coming back from the retreat, you're still at Nike, but you're getting more and more into the, the idea of expanding the consciousness, expanding your awareness, and, and what, what happened then? So coming back from those 10 days of silence was surreal, firstly. Okay. Like I came back into the office and I was like, I was speaking like this, you know, and everyone was like, what is wrong with this guy? Why is he speaking so quietly? And like, it's because like when I was there, I had so many different mental breakthroughs. When you spend a lot of time by yourself in silence, mind you, without any distractions, 
the first thing you have to do is you have to face whatever's going on in your head, which was the craziest thing for me because like, when is the last time that anyone outside of you taking whatever you're 20 minutes of meditation takes an extended time to face the thoughts that we have without distraction. Because usually what happens is like, I have a tough thought, I grab my phone, I switch on Netflix, I talk to my friends, whatever it may be, but it's a distraction. There, I had to just deal with it. There was no outlet. Like the only outlet there was writing it down. And so you start having these revelations, you start having these breakthroughs, you start getting to know yourself so much better. And when you start to know yourself better, it makes it so much easier to start making decisions and following your gut feeling and really going after the things that that you now see as important versus what other people might see as important for you. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, so that really put me on this path to just saying, screw it, you know what? Mm. Like, what is it that you want out of life? How can we get there? Let's make a list of goals. Let's set a timeline behind them. And let's create these steps of how to achieve it. And so everything I have in my life today is, is thanks to that, right? Whether it's the podcast, the business, relationship, health, whatever it may be, it's all planned or it's not planned necessarily, but I set those goals. We were speaking with Tarek, our very first mm. guest here. I think you know Tarek Great as well. Great guy, yeah, absolutely. Amazing guy. And we're having a conversation about how Zubair had left his career in law to follow a, a dream of, of working within a startup. Tarek had had a, a similar story of leaving something a little bit more safe, secure, I don't want to say the expected, but people would expect that was a, that was a, a great thing that he was giving up. You were working at Nike, one of the greatest companies around. Your career was going on the right track. What did you feel that you were not getting at that time? And what did you feel that you could get outside of this if you just went after it? I got approached by my two partners who founded the company probably six months before I joined as a partner. They came to me and they were like, listen, this is what we do. We think you're going to be an amazing addition. And these are guys, mind you, I've known since I was 15 years old, both of them separately. And and I was like, you know what, I'm down. Let's do it. But it was, a, it was a jump. Like it was a massive jump going from, like you know this, going from this security, nine to five, good salary to a startup. I think the, the main takeaway for me, or the, the main thing that I'm most proud of myself for is following my own instinct, saying, listening to myself, my own gut feeling and saying, Stefan, you need to go for this. Like you need to do this. I think I wrote about this a couple of days ago. Like when people give you advice, if your mom gives you advice, your girlfriend, your best friend, whatever it is, it's it's definitely given with the best intention, but it's always given through the lens of their own experience. Going back again to my Indian mother, like she's about security. So for her, jumping from a nine to five stable job to uncertainty is like, why, why would you risk it? Best friend who's an entrepreneur is like, what are you waiting for? You know, fiance is like, whatever you feel is the right move. And so then it becomes important to say, okay, let's listen to whatever's going on in here or in your heart, rather than making this pro, pros and cons list with everyone's opinion and making this, I guess, quote unquote, un, uh, informed decision. Mm. I know from personal experience, entering the startup world, entrepreneurship, uh, leaving a large corporation, if you, if you like, a lot of the structure is not there. A lot of the security is not there. And startup culture, entrepreneurship culture can be challenging on not only the mindset, but I think on the mental health because of the, the stress and challenges that you come up against. How did you incorporate some of your mindfulness techniques into your experiences as, as a new entrepreneur? And the a great thing about starting a company is then allowing to create the culture 
from the ground up? And have you thought about and have you started to implement some of your mindfulness into the culture that you've that you're now a part of growing? First, need to emphasize that my two partners are incredible. Both of them, one of them has founded many companies in his life. So he's used to that lifestyle and understands the challenges that it comes from. And so for me, having him as part of the company gave this sort of reassurance that whenever there was uncertainty or whenever I was feeling like, oh my God, like we're going to fail or we're going to this or that, like he was sort of that voice of reason who was like, no, no, no. He's like, this is normal. This is part of it. Yeah, Yeah, this is completely part of it. And I think that's sort of like a a challenge that many entrepreneurs face when they're going into something by themselves. You don't have your co-founder or you don't have a person that you can speak to on a daily basis. That That's sort of the yin-yang effect. So that's I just want to make that clear. In terms of habits, one of the biggest things that, that all three of us have is an immense amount of discipline, right? We, we're all athletes. And so that was the biggest blessing for me being, let's call it a semi-pro athlete is, the discipline that it instilled, the the diligence of waking up at the same time, doing the same routine every single morning, working through my workload in the same way, and just understanding the value of hard work. Like again, and I believe in I believe in balance, right? I believe in sleeping seven eight hours a night. I will never sacrifice that. But at the same time, like you got to work, you got to work extremely hard. So, so. I brought in discipline for starters, but then on the mindfulness piece, for me, it's a non-negotiable from a personal standpoint. Like I can't be the best version of myself if I don't practice meditation every day. Like I just, I'm not gonna be the best version for you guys. Mm. And the people around you deserve the best version of you. So I think that's extremely important. In terms of culture, I don't think we've necessarily brought mindfulness into our culture, but we've brought in kindness, compassion, Mm-hmm. empathy 100 percent mm-hmm. you know i think as entrepreneurs or as or co-founders like you need one you need to have each other's backs at all time two like if there's a culture of kindness it just makes the biggest difference in the world is mm-hmm. what i've realized and i've you know in corporate like you deal with you don't have a choice who you work with like when you're an entrepreneur you have a choice mm-hmm. who you work with mm-hmm. um and in corporate i've dealt with so much unkindness and so much like there's so many people who are unprofessional, but now we have this blessing of like, okay, well, he's unkind and unprofessional. We're not going to work with him anymore. Mm. Right? We're going to move on to someone else. Mm. I think it's really interesting to kind of get this reflection point where you start off as an elite athlete, you segue into to Nike, the commercial life, and now you end up as an entrepreneur. One of the things that I find fascinating about you is that I meet you for the first time, but I'd already formed an opinion where I thought that you as an individual was very intentional. So there was a thoroughness to what I saw on social media. There was a thoroughness to our WhatsApp interactions. I just thought that this guy, he sets an intention. The, the thing with me and goal setting is like, the, the moment I realized that it worked, I was like, why would I do anything else? Like the, the moment where I was like, and this was ages ago, like this was when I was like just out of college where I would set tiny goals, like you know, make, make X amount of money or like get a promotion or like they were relatively vague at the time because I didn't know how important it was to make them as specific as possible and make them time bound and make them achievable and all these sort of things. But the moment where I wrote things down and reflected upon it and, and was sort of purposeful with my work in order to get to that goal, in order to get a promotion, I need to I don't know, work hard, do this, do that, do that. All of a sudden I started reaching it. And then I was like, okay, why would I, why would I not do this? 
or like, why would I ever not, why would I give this up? That's when I became intentional. Like, that's where I was like, okay, let's look at all facets of my life, financially, relationships, health, work, hobbies, sport, whatever it may be. Let's look at them. Let's set goals for each of them. And let's make it as specific and time bound as achievable and whatever else as possible and create action plans to reach it. And till this day, I mean, I do this on a weekly basis where I reflect on my last week and I look ahead on my next week and I look at the goals that I've set and I go after it. I plan my next week around those goals. So like this podcast, for instance, is a great way for me to improve storytelling and speaking and all these sort of things. And it's part of my goal for my own podcast to do more of that. So I think that's where the intentional part came from. And I think you have sort of the same approach. Like, again, I've known you for 30 minutes, but I, like, I know that you also seem like the kind of person who's very diligent and intentional with the work that you do and how you go after certain things. Yeah, def- I think there's elements of that. I think that one of the things I've learned over life in general is that the intention is more important than the goal. So making that commitment to run 2K every day, I personally feel like that in itself, the beauty of getting to that stage, it's a micro difference. But I feel if you have enough of those in your life, it kind of creates this energy. Not to kind of, yeah, yeah, it compounds for sure. And so I think just to segue back to you, one of the other things that I think comes across quite strong is values. Like you've, you've referenced family, you've referenced kindness, you've referenced looking at a situation and not making a judgment too quickly, taking a step back, reflecting. So when we talk about values-based leadership, I think you're a really good proponent of that. I think it comes a lot from meditation. Like it comes a lot from self-reflection and understanding deeply how I want to be treated by people and what my expectations are when I have conversations or interactions, what my ideal way is of how things unfold. And I look at those things and I'm like, okay, if you look at kindness, what's wrong? Like, is there anything wrong with it? No, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with being kind to a person. There's only good outcomes. There's only good outcomes. So for me, looking at the different value sets, kindness is, is the most important thing for me in the world. Like, I'm, I like to be kind to every single person that I come across. Empathy is extremely important. Compassion is extremely important. Like understanding that you don't know what the other person is going through you know, irrespective. And then it brings you back to just be kind. Family and loyalty, very important to me as well. So I think they're values that are pretty common. But yeah, bringing it into business is definitely not easy. But it's important that you stay very committed to consistency in that sense. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. And to that point around empathy. So there's two schools of thought. Empathy is inbuilt versus empathy that is learned. Where do you sit on that? I think you could definitely learn it. I don't think it's something that... I think it might be hidden in some people. Like, I think it it might be something that's more evident with others at a younger age, maybe because of the environment they've been brought up in or uh, the people that they have surrounded themselves with. But it's a skill. Like, it's something that you learn and it's something that you can develop. And it takes work like anything else. But I definitely think everyone has it. Yeah, I had that debate just this week and I agree with you. And at Rockpool, we're all about coaching and mentoring. So is there anything that you've done specifically to unlock empathy? Yeah, self-reflection. 
it, it all, for me, so much comes down to spending time by myself. And because what happens when you spend time by yourself, you start thinking about other people more. There's so many of us that are just living life in a cycle. Like we, we're just going through the motions and we're not really taking time to step back. And what often happens with me, and I don't know if you have the same thing, but if I meditate for 20 minutes, I often come out of it and will always message one or two people. How are you doing? Yeah, I think that's beautiful because it really broke down what can be a very complex topic or emotion into something that's very relatable. I'm fascinated by the concept of the corporate athlete. So now this jargon has been throwing around where you need to have some type of sporting background as a business professional or some type of sporting interest in order to excel. With you, it was inbuilt. You, I get the feeling that you used to perform into quite a high level, regardless of whichever discipline that you're in. So what are you like when you maybe don't reach those goals? Yeah, I think in the past I've been crushed. Like I've, I've set goals, didn't reach them. And at a younger age, I was like, am I not good enough? Is it a problem with me or with my skills? Am I not talented enough? Am I not working hard enough? And it was often that the goal was too big or the goal was, it was the problem was more with the goal than with myself. Making goals more, like making them a bit more achievable. I call them like tiny goals or tiny habits where what I started doing was like making sure that I can have small victories rather than medium failures. So an example would be if I wanted to work out today, a workout doesn't necessarily have to be a 45 minute in the gym sweating sort of workout. It could be like two minutes of squatting or two minutes of push-ups. That's a small victory. While I'm making my coffee, I'll do two minutes of squats. If nothing else happens in the day, I do two minutes of squats. Rather than promising yourself I'm going to do a 45 minute workout at 6 p.m. today and then things happen, things come up and then all of a sudden you can't do that and you feel like crap. And so what I started doing was switching sort of the mindset was one, be extremely forgiving with yourself like you should be because things happen in life. But two is like implement tiny habits and, and tiny goals rather than these like grandiose things. The grandiose things can happen a year, two years down the line, like definitely move towards a specific direction. That's extremely important. And then set and create the goals and the habits that help you get there. But these should be small. Like these little habits should be small. The goal can be big. This is fascinating. Let's take all of what we've discussed so far. We have values. We have your expertise in particular industries and segments. You're now managing you know, athletes. And part of your vocation is actually to partner brands with the athletes. So at which point does your values enter that process? I just believe authenticity is extremely important. Like, I believe that you should work with people that you believe in, work with brands that you believe in, do things that you stand for, rather than doing it for, I don't want to say the wrong reasons, but doing it for money or doing it for fame or whatever it is. With my work, the emphasis on creating real long-term sustainable and, and authentic relationships has been something that's been at the forefront for us. So that's been one. And the second thing has been impact. Like that should be as a, it's kind of going to be a result of that partnership where it's like, let's create positive impact on whether it's that person's followers or the world or this town or city or whatever it may be. But let's make everything that we do as MTA have a positive impact on that ecosystem and beyond. Okay, fantastic. Now, as you know, and as people are starting to get the, the hang of, 
The way that we conduct these conversations is, first of all, we come to meet you. We come to meet you at your home. We usually arrive early in the morning. We spend the first precious hours of the day with the individual to get that true insight to the rituals, the routines that someone practices to hopefully observe the way that they unlock the positive mindset. So this morning, I was actually at a, a new ambassador uh, apartment and we we're spending the morning uh, with him and we we're going through his morning routine. And it, it, quite in contrast, you could even argue that his morning routine was breaking some of the principles that perhaps a more thoughtful routine would uh, would would be one of them is and okay, just as an example so he's an awesome guy super successful really cool he he deals in modern art and cryptocurrency and seems to be doing quite well in both so we were basically chatting with him and we were like oh you know how does your day start and he said well the very first thing I do before I even hop out of bed is check my phone and I check the crypto prices and we we looked at each other and we were a bit like that doesn't doesn't in our mind that doesn't seem like the most mindful way to, to start your day. But if that's the way you do it, then then let's go for it. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because positioned right next to this gentleman's bed was a vision board. And I, and I found that, you know, fascinating to be like, he may be living by his own routines and living by his own uh, rules in his life. And it seems to be working, but he was creating these goals and writing them down and keeping them so present that they're right there next to his bed. So you guys were speaking about uh, goal setting before. I would be interested to, to understand like your process. Are you writing them down? Are you tracking back? Are you, how, how do you set your goals? Yeah, no, I absolutely do. Like I make it a point to write down all my goals across all the different verticals of life. So like I said before, whether it's finances or relationship or work or whatever it may be. And I reflect on those on a weekly basis. So I'll revisit them. And even if you just look at them, you know, even if it's just like, oh, my goal for the podcast is X, Y, and Z. It's just an emphasis in your mind that this is something that you're concentrating on. But then from a planning standpoint, it makes things very easy. Like you you start prioritizing your day in a way where it's like, okay, if it doesn't add to these six goals, is it worth doing? And yeah, of course, some of it is, right? If it's my best friend's birthday and it's not part of my goal setting, it's not like I'm gonna be like, no, sorry, like I need to focus on my goals. It's, it's more just you start having a filter for how you spend your time, which I think is extremely important. And a lot of us don't do that. With that said, I don't think that there's one shoe fits all sort of approach because the, the, the gentleman that you just mentioned, that works for him. Mm. Like, and if he is from a mental health standpoint, sound and like things are good, then I'm not gonna sit here and judge what his routine is. Mm. But for me, what I realized is it took many iterations to get to where I am now, right? This is not the same routine I've had for the last 10 years. It's been a constant evolving process to see what works and plug in something else and then take out something else. And then, but try it for 100 days. People try something for a week and then they're like, um, it didn't work. I didn't make that extra money or I didn't add muscle or I didn't. I'm like, okay, well, you know, try it for three months or three and a half months and then see and then maybe add something or take something out. Yeah. And it's a funny one in a way because you have to believe in it. You have to surrender into the practice. You can't really be doing it for a reason or an outcome. Otherwise, I don't want to sound too, you know, but the universe can tell that you're doing that practice because you're looking for that outcome. And it's, it goes it's, back to intention. Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to intention. And I'm interested on the goal setting. And you mentioned the uh, that you'll do it by category across your life. So I guess that's prof professional, personal, 
financial, financial, then relationships, yeah. hobbies as well, and then health. Yes, I've heard two things. I'm sure you've heard similar. One of the examples that I, I have read was think of your most important categories as the big stones. So you put the big stones into the jar first and, and then the other medium and smaller ones will fit in. But if you do it in reverse, then you'll find the larger stones not able to fit into the same jar. Yeah. Or the analogy of some of the balls that you're juggling are made of rubber, some are made of glass. How do you look at your professional career, your, all your ambition with your business, etc., your relationship, your family, your friends? How do you go about prioritization? For me, it's people over everything. So there's a few people in my life that are number one, two, three, four, and then everything else comes after that. So that's not to say that I'm not going to work for 10 hours a day. It just means that if, can I swear? Yeah. If shit hits the fan, then those people come first. So, so it's a people first approach to my life. But the beauty of being like an obsessive planner of my day and of my time where every half an hour is planned, I make sure I tackle everything with the attention that those respective things deserve. So from a prioritization standpoint, you can look at it in a few different ways. You can look at it from like how much time do you invest in those things or how consistently do you do those things? And for me, I don't want to say I focus on everything equally because I don't, but I make sure that I constantly reflect on those six, seven verticals. I make sure that they're getting the attention that they need in order for me to get to that goal. Otherwise, why would you have it to begin with? Mm, exactly. Okay, fantastic. That was really interesting. Now I would like to jump into your actual routine. I'm going to talk you through what I observed when I was at your apartment this last weekend. Wake up time. What, what time are we talking usually? Are you a very early riser or are you a... Uh, no, 7, 7.30 yeah. a.m. You said earlier that you maybe not prioritize, but you know the importance of sleep. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, you'll never catch me. You'll never catch me sacrificing sleep. Yeah. Ever. Like, I'm just, for everyone it's different, but I'm just not a pleasant person to be around if I sleep less than seven hours. And obviously, I mean, I've been there, but like, I'd rather not. Yeah. So I'll, I'll make it a priority to go to sleep at a decent hour. You are part of the WHOOP tribe and you're not the first of the first three. There has been others. I'm well as a, as a WHOOP member. I think it, it was when I got into WHOOP and started having better insight to my sleeping performance that I changed actually. Like a few, for, for years, I was running on this routine where I would wake up at 5.30 every, every day and I would go directly to my gym workout and by 7.30 I'd worked out, I was full of endorphins and I was working. And I, I was convinced that was the very best way to, to do it. But I knew I'd have a, a slump in the afternoon. I knew I only had a few good hours of really, really productive work in me. And that came after the, after the workout. And it was only after thinking, well, okay, let's try this with Whoop and let's try to make this adjustment. I realized, well, hey, let's prioritize the sleep, do the workout later in the day. And actually my, my energy is, is much better. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important that, you know, you find what works for you because someone might, I know so many people wake up at 5am and they swear by it, like being in control of that part of your day and like start your day strong, heavy workout works for them. doesn't work for me. I've tried it. Like I, I, I did try to wake up at whatever, 5, 6am and do a heavy workout and stuff. And I had the same effect as you. At 1pm, I was like sleeping on my desk. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Unlike some other people that we have observed, you don't go directly for the, the coffee pot. No. So, so what, what is first step after you wake up? So first step after I wake up is drinking water. Yeah. Well, first, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the first thing I do is make my bed. Okay, good. Small victory. Yeah. And then 
I have two glasses of water. Take my supplements. Step two, should I just run you through it? Sure. Step two is, they're called morning pages. So it's basically journaling, where essentially you wake up and the first thing you do is you write three long pages with just whatever's on your mind, right? Because one of the things, and I'm sure you guys have witnessed this, when you wake up, you think about your to-do list for the day. You might feel anxious about it, like you might feel a little stressed. And that's something that's so normal. No matter how calm of a person you are, you wake up and you think about, okay, this is what I have to do today. And some of it might suck, some of it might not. But writing it down, and like what I do, what started naturally happening is like I'll write about whatever happened the day before, what's ahead, what I'm happy about, what I'm not happy about, whatever it is. And it's literally like putting your thoughts onto a piece of paper. Like, I, I sometimes, are you ever surprised at what comes out at that moment? Or it's, yeah. or it's pretty much expected? It's mostly expected. Like, I'm never really surprised by it. But then all of a sudden, like, you'll write something and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It'll lead to thoughts because you enter into this flow state that after you write one page, then once you write page two and three, you're just in this zone because you're essentially writing for like 15 minutes. It's not like a five minute thing. Like it's a pretty 15 minutes of writing is not with your hand. It's pretty intense. So, mm. so there's some surprises in there, but mostly it's it's just whatever's in my mind. I put them on a mm. piece of paper. And and following on from that, you get the feeling that your mind is clearer, less of the less jumbled, or you're able to perhaps get some of the subconscious chit chat out to allow you to then operate with a, with a clearer, clearer all of head. the above. Yeah, I could I could yeah, imagine all of the above, and and that's the reason that I do that first. Yeah. So I, meditation second. Yeah. And after the, after that. After that. Yeah. So it makes sense, right? Because it's like. You, you meditate after you've yeah. kind of taken care of business. You've hit like control, alt, delete. Yeah. Dumped it. And then, and then you start. And your, then you uh, start. You're reprocessing. Yeah. So then that'll be a 20 minute, about a 20 minute session, 20 minute meditation, which is mainly focused on awareness. It's focused on breath work. It's focusing on mantras. It's, it, it just depends on, there's no set structure to that. So you you understand a couple of different styles of meditation and you will implement the one that you feel could suit you the best on that day, whether it's a mantra or or breath work or yeah. two. Yeah, I'll always start with, with focusing on breathing for probably two, three minutes and then doing a body scan. Like that'll always happen because that really gets me personally into a deeper state. Um, and again, it might be different for, for other people. And then it's sort of like free flow. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's interesting, of course. And it's interesting to, to get into it and think, well, you first have to learn how to meditate. You first have to, whether it's reading a book or, or, or being taught, but, but once you understand some of the, the ways, you're then able to incorporate it and get benefits from it throughout your day, not just for the 20 minutes of, of the meditation. From my experience, it's like reading those books, having that understanding, and then having a few different ways of approaching the meditation practice. So it's not always exactly the same, but you, I kind of understand where I'm, where I'm going and what I'm achieving technically. Yeah, and a few things on that. I think one, just for people listening, it's important that you don't get intimidated by it. Like one, it requires a lot of patience. Like even, like I've been meditating since I was 19 and I still have days where I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst session ever. You know, like after 20 minutes, like you feel worse than you did coming in and that's okay. So starting, starting small, starting with just put your phone away and breathe for five minutes with your eyes closed or go for a walk for five minutes and leaving your phone at home. 
Like those could serve as meditations. Yeah. And then the second thing I'd say to your point as well is you gotta stay in that state for the whole day. So doing the 20 minutes, but then you're in your car going to work and you're you got road rage and you're swearing at people. Like you, that's not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to try and stay in that state where whenever road rage comes or whenever your colleague talks to you in a way that you don't like, that you take that step back and mm. think about what you're actually mm. going to say before you say it or think about what you're going to do before you do it. Yeah, I think it comes around in, in a circle in, in a way of like learning the practice of meditation. You learn to begin again constantly and you will be distracted in thought, but you'll notice that thought and you will begin again. In the same way that you might be with a colleague and you're not enjoying the conversation or you're on, on the road and you're not enjoying the other person's driving, you notice the frustration, you're able to witness it and, and not allow you, yourself to be, and I think that's a learning that is definitely a muscle that is exercised through meditation. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, it's, it's meditation. And then from meditation after that, I check whoop. So I'll look at how I slept last night, I'll look at how much deep sleep I got, REM sleep, etc. which is always, I love, I love my whoop, like I would never ever give it up. Have you ever experimented with improving any of the stats in there? Like I, I, I get a bit frustrated in a way that I, I always think my REM looks a bit low and my HRV seems, seems low. So I'm constantly thinking about ways to, and I'm so, I'm so happy when I see that I've slept well and I've yeah. had good REM. I always adjust. Always adjust. Like if it's if something is off, I mean now because I've been wearing it for like three and a half, four years, so I, I pretty much know like what I did wrong the night before. Yeah. Whether it's eating too late, whether it's not taking magnesium, whether it's like staring at my screen in bed or not hydrating enough or whatever, like exercising too late, like all these sort of things. I know my body so well now that if my HRV, REM, or my recovery is out of whack. It's, I'll know exactly the reason behind it. Yeah. Credit to Whoop again by, by just providing first the data and then s some of the understanding through their content as well to sort of better understand yeah. ourselves. It's quite simple now. Yeah. It's, it's got to a point where it's quite, it's all quite understandable. So I'll check my Whoop and I'll have my coffee. This is mushroom coffee from Four Sigmatic which I probably started like three months ago, and it's so good. It doesn't have as much caffeine as, as regular coffee, and it's got a few of the superfoods in it, and I have a d bunch of different ones. That's been tremendously helpful. Then I stretch, and I'll stretch for about 15 minutes mm -hmm. just to get my... I'm a tall guy, like, and after eight hours of sleep, like, you just need to wake your body up and be nice to your joints and muscles, etc. And then I'll work out, and the workout can be anything from, from a run or session in the gym or just a session at home, which will be about, like, 30, 45 minutes total. Cold shower after that, crucial, I realized, how, how important it is to take cold showers. And then I really kick off in terms of work. A cold shower. For many people listening in, that very thought, cold shower, they're freaking out already. <laughs> so perhaps you can talk through the benefits of a cold shower. Yeah, so I got introduced to ice baths when I was an athlete. After long trainings or after like tough matches, we would get into an ice bath and it was excruciating. I hated it, but like I came out of it feeling incredible. Like it was like, I didn't need to stretch. I didn't need to go for a massage. I was recovered and my muscles felt great and I had an amazing sleep at night. So after I finished college and when I came back to Dubai, I didn't mess with cold showers at all. But 
you know, researching it and, and the effects of, of cold showers, one on your mental state, being able to do something for two minutes or 30 seconds, that's extremely difficult. And like getting out of that small win, like you've achieved something today, you took a cold shower, but then the anti-inflammation effect on your body, resetting your muscles. Those are all things where I go back to my athlete days and I understand how good it is for you. But mind you, I do it after a workout. So my body, I'm sweating at this point. So it becomes so much easier. After a run outside. Yeah, I, uh... you would want it. You <laughs> yeah, want to do it, yeah. you know. It makes it a bit easier. It makes it a bit easier. And it's not long. It's a minute, maybe two minutes. But it's interesting. It's like that combination of mind and body benefits for the body and benefits in the way of yeah. you know, training the training the mind. And I heard it's good for your skin. Probably why you look twenty one then, man. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's about a two hour process, and I don't like to look at like WhatsApp or Instagram or emails or anything like that outside of that until I finish that cold shower. So like the, the time that I check my phone for Whoop, I'll just go to the Whoop app, check that, put my phone away again. And then until after, I'll check it. And that's been a big game changer for me. Like, I, I was also always that guy that would look at my phone. But the thing is that, like, you have no control over what you're going to see. I mean, you do to an extent if you switch off your notifications and stuff. But, like, if you open WhatsApp or your email or, or you get a message for the, from the bank or, and you're not ready for it mentally, like, you just woken up and you see it. For me, my whole day is off. And other people might deal with it differently. For me, it really impacts like how I Yeah, if you have that stimulus before going through the process, your morning routine, it could affect you. Yeah, um, throughout the day. Exactly. But after a routine like yours, you're able to take whatever comes at you and then just file it at, at the level that it deserves. Yeah. Or I just deal with it better. Like if you get a message from the bank saying we just took, you know, 5,000 dirhams for this payment and you, you weren't expecting it. If I see that after my morning routine, I'm like, okay, cool. Call the bank and deal with it. If I see that first thing in the morning, I'm like, oh my God, should I just stay in bed today? I'm not going to do my morning routine today, you know, because you're demotivated and like it got to you. Exactly. So basically that is the morning routine. And like I said at the beginning, I think it is one of the most thoughtful. Um... Now, you, you know, from your podcast to everything that we're starting to get to know you more and more, we see that you are someone who is interested in this, actively looking for greater information about best practices. Is there anything that you've learned over the last couple of years that you would, you would like to introduce but you haven't introduced yet? What do you mean by introduce? Any sort of like, even from our conversation, I think I might go and introduce, I've heard of them before, the idea of uh, morning pages, and I can definitely imagine the benefit, but I've never tried it. So what I will probably think to myself, that's a habit that I would like to introduce into my mornings, but I need to almost set myself up with the discipline to think like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to lay out the paper. I'm going to lay out the pen. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to try to introduce that into my thing. But we can't do everything, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of good ideas out there. So is, has, maybe there's not, but have you heard of anything recently that you're, you're intrigued by and you're, you're thinking about introducing? I, I've interviewed a lot of people now, and w one of my questions is always, what's your morning routine? And everyone is always like, boom, 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 boom. Like, they've got it. Mm. Similar to, I have it. They've got it down to a T. And they're all quite similar in terms of the themes behind it. It's a bit of reflection. It's a bit of movement, food or energy or whatever it may be. For me, personally, like, one of the things I want to start focusing on a bit more is content creation. Stuff like this, whether it's videos, whether it's audio, whether it's pictures, focusing a bit more on that, but obviously making sure it's impactful and making sure that there's a, a strong message behind it.
Like I've been doing a lot of writing, but unfortunately we live in a generation where people don't want to read something for 10 minutes. They want to watch something in 30 seconds. Finding a way to bring that into a 30 second clip or whatever is something that I'm going to start concentrating a bit more on, but maybe not as part of my morning routine, maybe part of my like early afternoon routine. On the point of content creation, I'll give a shout out now to your social, Stefan Run DXB. Runs DXB. Runs DXB. Yeah. And I've been following you since we've met. It breaks up my feed with a little bit of positive information, not just like a, a positive quote or saying or something, but it's a little bit of research, or a little bit of understanding that I can actually digest, think about it. And I find that it's, yeah, it's definitely a positive moment within the social media universe. Of thank my, you. Of my that's, phone. that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal. No, so, good job. Thank you. At Rockport, we try to promote a culture of positivity, team spirit and the knowledge for anyone listening in to take elements of this conversation and implement it. And often when we talk about success, that's almost a contrast to other elements of the conversation so far, which has been much more based on self-introspection, humility, etc. But I think it's fair to say that you are successful. And in your opinion, what do you think makes you successful? One, I think success is always extremely subjective. I mean, you just said that as well. Like, it's so hard to define it for, even if it's just the three of us. Like, the three of us, when we're now asked, what is success? We're probably going to have three relatively different answers. Traditionally, it looks more like financial success, or it looks more at possessions, or it looks more like how many kids you got sort of thing. For me, it's whatever is important to you, do you have that? And for me, I need to have and foster meaningful relationships. I need to take care of my physical and mental health, and I need to be doing something that I love. Like those three things, I might be missing one or two, but those three things are for me like a definition of success. And in that regard, I do whatever I can to to be and stay successful. I don't think I answered your question though. You answered the definition of success, not what makes you successful. Yeah. I think it's firstly like what makes you successful is firstly defining your version of what success is. And I can't emphasize this enough because it's so important. You, You need to stop looking at external factors when it comes to creating your version of success. Like don't feel pressured by what you see on Instagram and from your friends and all that kind of stuff who might be achieving more than you or might have more money than you or bigger house. But is that what matters to you particularly? Is that what success looks like for you? Once you define your version of success, create an action plan on how to get there. Once you get there, how do you stay there? Or do you want to up it again? You want to elevate it again? So I think one is defining it and then two is creating an action plan on how to get there. I can relate to that, but maybe I can take a shot. And again, I'm just thin slicing based on limited inputs in this conversation. I think there's two things that really strike out. Number one, authenticity. So I think you mentioned it once maybe, but I think what you say, you are. What you say, you do. And I think that leads me to the second point is that the substance. So everything that you've discussed in today's conversation, it's not surface level. There's real depth behind it as well. And what I like about your aspect of, or what I like about your version of success or your version of routine is that once you've decided, you've decided. And I think that then enables you to fully steam 100 miles ahead towards that particular goal or objective, whatever it might be. So those are two things, again, from, if I misspoke, I apologize, but from afar that I see is like authenticity and substance. Yeah, I think that's I think you I think you nailed it as well. Like I think what I what I recently started doing and by recently I probably mean within the last year or so is like really following my gut feeling. 
like really not letting anything outside of me determine or at least fully determine what I'm going to be doing. I'm not saying don't listen to, you know, people who are giving you advice. It's just that like once you build such a strong sense of self-awareness, all of a sudden it becomes so clear on where you need to go. And if you know where you want to go and you can create a plan to get there with the ability to pivot and adapt with, you know, things being thrown at you, then that's something I feel that you should definitely pursue. So I'm basically emphasizing or re-emphasizing what you said, but I think you're spot on. Yeah, that's cool. Because for me, when I speak to you, I just think CEO. So, which is fascinating because when you look at the space that you're in, you're trying to cultivate something from the bottom up based on values, based on introspection, based on wellness. But I think ultimately your leadership qualities at some point, wherever we, if we touch base in five years time, I'm fairly confident that either your current business will be huge, you know, and you'll be part of that senior leadership team, touch wood, or, you know, CEO is a category that I see yourself in. So I'm not sure even if this will make the cut, but I just find it fascinating. And like I said, Rockpool is all about promoting and creating a culture of positivity. I'm a big believer of gut feeling. And there's a concept of thin slicing, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there's a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And I subscribe by that because I interview a lot of people in my day job in terms of building a company from the bottom up from 52 to 2000. And what I found really interesting was that when you speak to certain individuals, there's a prerequisite there of potential and it can be booming or it can be really quiet. Either way, like between those dots, like your gut feel is telling you like that person, they're going to get there or they might get there or they have the potential to get there. And I found that of all the podcasts we've done, like this has been the most fascinating one because we've had to really unpack like the different layers. But then throughout all of that, like that's the one thing is if you ask me at the end of this, where do I end up with? I'm like, this is a guy that can understand strategy, have empathy, execute. And execution is the toughest in any aspect of life. And if that happens, obviously you've got an internal DNA where people will be on the journey with you side by side, as opposed to like, this is the boss or this is whoever the founder is. So completely off topic. But again, we're about positivity. So I want to share that. But I think that's a great skill that you then have, which is the ability to analyze people in a time frame of 45 minutes, like having someone sit in front of you. Granted, we're going in depth about my life and things that I value, which you might not usually do on a day-to-day basis. But having that skill is also something that you should definitely be very proud of. And secondly, it's funny that you mentioned CEO because I think that, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it's increasingly becoming important that those values are sort of at the forefront where it's like kindness, empathy, compassion, which maybe historically wasn't something when you think CEO that you think those qualities, you might think something completely different. So those are also just my two points based on what you're... Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I'm just fascinated. So if we take CEO, we take leadership, and we talked about football, you know, prior to entering this conversation, any angle to squeeze football talk in, I'll take that. When you look at the current managerial landscape, so many managers out there, some of them are super successful. Like, which manager appeals to you the most in terms of their leadership style and how they approach and manage their players, their club? You'll love this because it's club. Okay. I know you're a Liverpool Double fan. thumbs up. Yeah. yeah, because I think that he's a man of the players. He relates so deeply to the players themselves. I mean, he was a player himself in his day. 
there's a respect there that is so visible. Like when you hear the players speak about their coach, you don't often hear so much praise about the coach themselves. It's more about we've done this with the boys and like the team and this and that. But like there's a lot of respect for him. And the second thing is he's always got his players backs. Whenever I see him on interviews, I'm like this guy, like he just gets it. You know, like the way he speaks, he doesn't blame anyone besides blaming the Premier League or the Champions League for scheduling and these sort of things. But he'll take, he's fully accountable. He doesn't shift blame to anyone else. And I think those are all qualities in leaders that are important. You're you're the CEO. You're the one who's accountable for the screw-ups of your goalkeeper or your left-back or your attacker, not them themselves. So I think he's, he's one. I love Ryneri as well. And I love, uh, oh, I forgot his name, the Leeds United. Biesler? Yeah. yeah. I love him, but more on an obsession sort of basis. Like just his love for the game and his deep obsession on winning and, and creating this monster of a team. Three very different personalities, but respect for all three. But Klopp is definitely at the top of that list. Great answer. But I mean, Biesler, <laughs> I mean, the guy literally sits on a bucket yeah. so that he's pitch level. So when you talk about obsession and details... I just think it's impressive. to a level where it might be a bit unhealthy. That's why he's not <laughs> at the top of the list. But yeah, yeah, that's probably the top three. And then, uh, listen, I have respect for the other guys, Mourinho and Ancelotti and whoever else. Like They're, they're, they're obviously great coaches, but... Yeah, that's the list. Okay, I'm going to try to rope you two back, uh, <laughs> back, back over here. Can be turning on the football channel soon. <laughs> um, okay, so now it wouldn't be uh, a Rockpool podcast if we didn't at least try to take a look into the personal care cabinet. As part of my time spent with you, I did have the pleasure of joining you into your bathroom after your really thoughtful routine. Your thoughtful approach also carries through to to your personal care. I'll quickly run through what I observed and then I'd just like to get like a little bit of your thoughts around personal care and, and appearance. So step one, you use a cleanser, a face cleanser that was 100% natural, all organic. It, it was unbranded or it was made locally? Made locally. Yeah. If, if the second one was a serum. So that was all natural, scientifically proven, antioxidant serum. And then step number three, which my girlfriend would be extremely happy to see with sunscreen. And you're the first one so far to apply a sunscreen. So yeah, I'd just be really interested to, to hear your take on how important is it to you? Do you think it's becoming more important, less important? Is it overrated? I hear your yeah, story. I think it's all part of the routine as well, which is it's just something that I flow through on a day-to-day basis. I've had this conversation with my fiance like probably a year and a half back where we met someone here in Dubai at one of these markets that was selling handmade, homemade products just from natural ingredients only. We started speaking to her and she's like, you know, when you put like shower gel and like your skin absorbs X amount, or X percent and there's all this crap in it. And I was like, oh my God, like I started freaking out, right? <laughs> I was like, I've been doing this for all these years, like using Nivea body wash and Axe deodorant and these sort of things. She was like, yeah. So she's like, why don't you try these products? Just try this for your hair, try this for your face. She basically had a whole range of different products. Since then, I made it a point to only use as natural as possible products. I think appearance, to your question is important. I don't think you necessarily, like you don't have to look good for other people, but you have to, I think looking good for yourself brings a certain level of self-confidence when you step out the door and you feel your best self. I think that's important. And so hence these three products. 
sunscreen as well, just because I'm outdoor a lot. Whether it's I go for long walks or, I mean, we're in Dubai, so that's a pretty self-evident reason. But yeah, that's the reason behind those three behind those three products, and I use them religiously. Excellent. Like, it was thoughtful, and it reflected your character mm. uh, as a whole. And 100% mean, you're a great guy, and I really hope that, you know, all of us will stay uh, personally uh, We definitely as well. will. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate your time. 